Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I'm your host, Luisa Hallmeyer-Wacker. Let's get started with this week's episode. Genomics has the potential to transform healthcare in terms of how we diagnose, prevent, and treat diseases. In this week's episode, I want to focus on how we can personalize treatment. There's mounting evidence that shows that variations in the genome can significantly affect interpatient differences in drug response. The field of pharmacogenomics aims to uncover genetic variances that influence drug response in order to tailor a patient's therapy. Here with me today to discuss this interesting field, both from a scientific but also a policy perspective, is Amani Sani, the founder of the organization Adverse Drug Reaction Canada. Amani holds a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of British Columbia, which also happens to be my alma mater, and a master's degree in public administration from Dalhousie University. She currently serves as president of Adverse Drug Reaction Canada, which brings together patients, researchers, and policymakers to advocate for the increased use of genomics in guiding health decisions. For her innovative policy work, she received the 2016 Canadian Science Policy Award of Excellence. Amani, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. So you founded Adverse Drug Reaction Canada to address some of the challenges around preventing adverse drug reactions. Before we dive into what adverse drug reactions are and how pharmacogenomics can be used to personalize treatment, what motivated you to found the organization in the first place? It was a very personal experience, actually. Um, in 2010, my sister, who was an 18-year-old student, um, she had developed cold-like symptoms and had visited the walk-in clinic on her university campus. And there she was told by the physician that she had a cold to get plenty of rest and um, consume plenty of fluids. And she was given a sample of an ibuprofen drug. Um, so the ibuprofen drug that she had taken, um, it led to her developing toxic epidermal necrolysis, um, which is usually referred to by its acronym, which is 10. Um, and this is a life threatening condition, which is caused by a reaction to a drug where blisters and sores start appearing on your body, on your mucous membrane, and over 30% of your body becomes um, covered um, in these blisters. And so my sister did spend uh, roughly three weeks um, at Vancouver General Hospital, first in the burn plastic trauma unit and later on in the ICU when her condition worsened. It was an incredibly traumatic experience um, for everybody involved. She did make it. And it was something that I pushed um, out of my mind and really didn't think about until five years later in 2015, when I was scrolling through the internet and came across articles that talked about how different gene variants can lead to certain diseases. And then I started researching into this field. And I came across all these articles that talked about how potential adverse drug reactions could be detected earlier. And some countries were already starting to utilize the technology of genetic testing to prevent um, adverse drug reactions, including the one that my sister had got. 
So after contacting researchers and scientists all around the world, um, I gathered my research and developed a policy proposal, which later went on to win an, a national award. And after I had received this award, um, this recognition and um, the support that I received from in individuals was really incredible. Um, individuals all across the country came forward wanting to talk to me about how adverse drug reactions had impacted them. Researchers told me that they hadn't thought about turning this research into a workable policy that could be applicable in society. Um, I did find that there tends to be this gap that exists between science and policy. And afterwards, um, I really felt compelled to do something with this knowledge that I had just obtained. So with the support from the science community in Canada, friends, family, in particular, my mom, and those who nested on um, my board of directors, um, Adverse Drug Reaction Canada was born. Yeah, that sounds like a very powerful experience that you've had um, with that life-threatening condition um, of your sister. And it's really interesting to hear how that led you to develop a much deeper interest and propose policy. So for our listeners who are not familiar with the topic of uh, adverse drug reactions, what are they and how much of a global burden do they pose? Um, so that's a good question. Um, so the World Health Organization, they have established a definition for adverse drug reactions, and they say that it's an unattended negative consequence, so sometimes the deadly consequence, um, unfortunately, of taking a normal dosage of a drug, usually prescribed to an individual by a medical professional, that was properly administered and which was supposed to be beneficial for the patient towards curing their sickness or their disease. So um, a sick patient, anyone ranging from a child with a common cold visiting their pediatrician, um, all the way to an adult patient with a severe form of cancer who is in the intensive care unit, can be given a medication to which they nor the administrator of the medication is aware that they are allergic to. And then their body will respond negatively to that drug. So we would call that an adverse drug reaction. Here in Canada, there are um, an estimated 200,000 severe adverse drug reactions each year. Though some researchers um, here in British Columbia have estimated that 95% of adverse drug reactions are not reported. Um, they kill up to 22,000 Canadians each year, which would mean that um, each year here in Canada, they are anywhere between the third to the fifth leading cause of death. And overall, in Canada, adverse drug events um, cause or contribute to almost 2 million emergency departments visits annually. So that would mean that one in a nine adult visits to the emergency room are occurring because of an adverse drug event. Here in my home province, um, we have a hospital for children called BC Children's Hospital, where leading researchers there have said that more than 180,000 admissions every year to the hospital um, are because of an adverse drug reaction. So that would mean about 22%. This isn't surprising because children are taking a drug for the first time. And the same goes for seniors. Um, the older you get, the more drugs you are prescribed, and some of these drugs might be drugs that are new for you. In 2013, the Canadian Institute of Health Information um, reported 
that um, between 2010 and 2011, there were more than 27,000 Canadians age 65 and older who suffered from an ADR. Um, but also in Canada, because we have a lack of reporting to regulators such as Health Canada, and we haven't um, yet established a mandatory database that monitors and records all adverse drug reactions, it is predicted that the number would be much higher. I mean, the numbers you've just mentioned are staggering. Um, and, and I think a, a lot of the scientific community is also not aware of that it is such a, such a burden. So maybe one follow-up question. Do you know how much economic loss uh, is estimated from all of this um, adverse drug reactions and emergency visits? Um, adverse drug reactions collectively, um, the studies that have been done, it has been predicted that they end up costing the Canadian healthcare system over $13 billion each year. And these are just the financial costs. Um, you also need to take into account that there are other costs to patients as well. There's a psychological cost, the physical costs that are endured by ADR patients um, every day. So why do clinical trials not pick up on these adverse drug reactions? Because usually clinical trials are meant to detect side effects to medications um, of different population groups. Um, so why are these not picked up in traditional clinical trials? Uh, I would say a significant reason is that there are some groups that have not traditionally been presented in clinical trials. So traditionally, for example, women are underrepresented in clinical trials. And that's highly problematic for a number of reasons, but primarily being that women's bodies are different. Um, for women, our kidneys are smaller. We have more body fat. Female hormones impact how drugs are metabolized by the liver differently. We tend to weigh less. And there's just a stream of other reasons on how the bodies of women are different from the bodies of men. Here in Canada, one of the early advocates for the prevention of adverse drug reactions was a former member of parliament um, by the name of Terence Young, whose 15-year-old daughter Vanessa passed away from an adverse drug reaction. So she had had um, some stomach pains and had been prescribed a medication by her physician called um, Cisapride. And when she took that medication in conjunction with her bulimia, it caused her to suffer from a cardiac arrest at home, and she sadly passed away from that. Um, and we've seen the same case with other drugs, such as Ambien, where the sleeping medication metabolized at a, slower, at a slower rate in women. But prior to research and this knowledge, you had women that were driving off to work in the morning, having taken the drug the night before, and this resulted in impaired driving. And it's the same for various um, ethnic groups. Different ethnicities carry varying genes, um, and these gene variants um, impact their response to a drug. But many ethnic groups do not get included in clinical trials. Um, and you can really see that when you look at the data um, on adverse drug reactions from all around the world. If you look at a country like the United States, which is predominantly um, of European descent, you see that the top drug um, that results in an adverse drug reaction there is aspirin. But if you look at Singapore, you see it's completely different. Um, for them, the top um, drug that causes adverse reactions is um, atenanol. 
So um, going back to Ambien in 2014, after there had been over 700 reports of car crashes, the FDA came out and said, hey, women should only be prescribed half the recommended dosage for the drug. Um, and we see that there have been some improvements lately. Um, new clinical trials are starting to take all these factors into account. They are starting to include more ethnic groups, um, people of varying ages, weights, weight, ethnicity. And so things are starting to improve when it comes to clinical trials, but there could be more that could be done to ensure that drugs are tested on the population that will actually end up using them. So many of the points you've raised are really interesting and important, and we've actually addressed many of them in previous episodes. Just in the last episode, we talked about um, differences between men and women in clinical trials and research in regards to reproductive medicine. So traditional clinical trials often do not take into consideration personal variants in the genome, especially in certain groups of the population. And that is why genomics has been proposed as a solution for personalizing treatment. So what technologies are currently being used in pharmacogenomics uh, to improve patients' safety? So there have been recent scientific advances in the past decade that have produced concrete evidence to demonstrate that ADRs can actually be prevented by making use of genomics. And that is something that really excites me. Um, so every individual, um, as you, some of your um, listeners may be aware, um, so every individual is made of uh, various genes, which are inherited from both of their parents. And these genes um, determine the traits that will develop. And also, um, they will determine how you will respond to certain medications. And when there are, and when certain um, genetic variants in a cluster of Im immunity genes combine with certain medications, when they combine with certain ingredients and drugs, they can produce a negative reaction and an adverse drug reaction. Um, so scientists in several jurisdictions, including Asia, Europe, and the United States, have already identified destructive drug gene combinations. One of the earliest discoveries that's been written about in literature involves um, Taiwan. In 2002, at the Chang Gung um, Memorial Hospital, two patients were being admitted to the dermatology ward every week for having um, TENS and Stephen Johnson syndrome. So as you saw, there was hundreds and hundreds of patients a year that were being admitted to the hospital from having suffered from TENS um, and SJS. And when these patients were asked what drugs they had taken, everyone who had got the condition had the same answer. And that was that they had taken carbo, they had taken carbamazepine. So two researchers at this hospital, they started sequencing the, sequencing the genes of these patients, and they made a surprising and important discovery. They discovered that every single patient who had got TENS and SJS had the HLA-B1502 gene variant in common. And this variant um, was only present in 3% of individuals who took the same drug but didn't develop TENS or SJS. 
Um, so today, um, in countries such as Taiwan, Thailand, and Singapore, and, and other Asian countries, what they are doing is they are providing a genetic test for their patients, and they are actually testing for this HLA variant. So Thailand and um, Taiwan, realizing the benefits um, associated with conducting genetic tests, versus the cost of caring for TENS and SJS patients, they began covering the cost of genetic tests as part of their national health insurance. And they have actually seen a, seen a significant, significant reduction in the number of patients with this condition. Thailand, uh, the work that they've done is absolutely incredible. What they also did as part of this um, genetic testing was they created a genetic ID card. And on this genetic ID card, it stores information about an individual's gene variants. So we do live in this incredibly um, fascinating time where, where technology has developed to the point that a simple test can be used um, and a simple test can be conducted, with ex which extracts DNA and sequences it to determine which genes and which gene variants an individual possesses. And new harmful drug gene combinations are being identified and discovered every year, meaning that some ADRs can now be entirely prevented. Um, and I just smile just thinking about that. I'm optimistic that we will eventually get to that point as personalized medicine continues to expand and we use technology to make drugs safer for patients and really overall to improve patient safety at the end of the day. Yeah. And that sounds like a very promising future. And there seems to be some kind of roadmap already. Um, as you said, there, there are countries that are uh, at the forefront of this and who have taken the initiative to introduce things like the genetic ID card. So to come back to your work with um, Adverse Drug Reaction Canada, what specific policies are you proposing to prevent adverse drug reactions in Canada? and maybe translate some of that learning from other countries to Canada? Well, so there's actually a number of uh, initiatives that we want to see here in Canada. But in particular, there's three ideas and three policies that we are pushing um, for. So first of all, um, we are recommending that Canada establish a national mandatory database to record and monitor all adverse drug reactions. Um, some of our advisors of the organization and researchers have also recommended that we should also start collecting information that includes um, information about a person's gene variants. So we can see what gene variants were common in each patient that led to a particular, particular ADR. Um, and we really saw the success of that in Taiwan. Um, Taiwan was just not recording um, who the patients were that were entering their hospitals and what drugs um, they had had an adverse drug reaction from, but they also asked for a DNA sample. And it wasn't until they um, started examining the DNA samples that they realized that they had um, a particular gene variant in common. So that is incredibly important that we not just record what drugs are killing Canadians, but we also, um, if possible, ask them um, for a sample of their DNA so we can make those um, discoveries. Um, secondly, we believe in um, establishing public funded genetic testing, genetic screening to identify gene variants in individuals that can lead to adverse drug reactions. 
Canadians um, should be tested to determine which gene variants they carry. And if they end up carrying a variant that could result in a negative reaction to a particular drug, then that trigger drug should be withheld. And of course, when you're looking at this from the policy perspective, it's not going to be feasible to test 35 million Canadians all at once. Um, we know that we must start somewhere. So we are making some recommendations as an organization. Um, and thirdly, what we are recommending is that Canadian jurisdictions establish a centralized electronic medical record system. And this would really um, do a lot um, to improve patient safety and give healthcare providers access to life-saving information. I think it would be um, absolutely um, phenomenal if you, when you went to go um, ask for a prescription or your um, physician was going to prescribe you a, a drug, if they would be able to look into their, this database and see exactly what it is that you were allergic to. And it wouldn't matter um, if you were um, with a healthcare professional in your hospital, um, if you were at a walk-in clinic, if you were at the dentist or um, or at another doctor's office. Um, everywhere where patient travels um, in their home province or country, um, that information should be available to healthcare providers about what an individual is allergic to. Yeah, thanks for sharing those three policy proposals. Um, I have one follow-up question, which has also come up quite often as a topic within our podcast, which is privacy concerns. Um, I mean, with collecting DNA samples and then screening, there is always this concern around privacy of genetic data and who is able to access that data. Um, how would these policies deal with privacy concerns around genetic information? Yes, that is a question that does come up quite a bit with um, patients that we have talked about. Um, patients do not want um, their information, um, really personal information about their DNA to be out there. Um, that's something that I even personally would have a concern with. Um, as we move forward, that is certainly a, an issue that government will need to address. Because it is important to have patient safety. It is important to ensure that Canadians are not passing away from drugs um, that, um, and they're not passing away from causes that are, are preventable. Um, so we need to make sure we have that. Um, but then there's also the question of how we balance that with privacy. Um, I don't have the answers to that right now, but this is um, something that privacy experts in this field will need to explore as we move forward. Um, genomics is uh, an emerging field, and we are learning more and more that um, it is needed if we want to save lives um, at the end of the day. Um, and there's all these new questions that are being um, um, asked, and we don't have the answers to that yet, but, um, but hopefully we will soon. Uh, we have seen some countries start to develop databases. The National Health Service in the UK, they have recently developed a massive database, which is capable of storing um, the DNA records for every British citizen. Um, it will be interesting to see how that plays out, um, how comfortable um, citizens um, in 
and in the UK are with that. Um, and I hope that we can learn from that system and um, hopefully implement something here in Canada um, soon so we can get the ball rolling on pharmacogenomics and using um, genetic information um, for the benefits um, of patients. Yeah, as you said, a lot of open questions, and especially with new fields that are developing into a clinical setting. Um, it's about seeing what works and um, talking to experts um, on topics like privacy, um, but also um, people who know about how to store data properly uh, in, uh, in a manageable way. So actually, two of the policies you've mentioned touch on uh, record keeping, some kind of mandatory record keeping system. So just to get a bit of a better understanding, in Canada, how are adverse drug reactions currently identified? And then how are these reactions recorded? So currently um, here in Canada, we don't have in place standardized practices to identify potential um, adverse drug reactions. Unless in some rare cases, you happen to be a researcher that takes an interest in this topic and utilizes technology in your health facility to prevent adverse reaction. Um, for example, one of our organization's advisors is a researcher who works at BC Children's Hospital, where some pediatric cancer patients, they were suffering from adverse drug reactions that resulted from the use of three chemotherapy drugs and other cancer medications. Uh, some of these um, effects included hearing loss, nerve damage to limbs, um, inflammation of the mucous membranes, which would, which would result in the difficulties in swallowing for the child. So now researchers at this hospital, they have identified the gene variants that cause these reactions. And now cancer patients at that hospital, they're being given a test test to see if they would be at risk of getting an ADR from taking a particular drug. And if so, then they are given an alternative drug. But other than rare examples such as these, um, one typically finds out if they are allergic to a drug after they have taken it. And they have taken it and they have responded negatively to that drug, as was the case with my sister. In Canada, um, our federal drug regulator is um, Health Canada. And Health Canada has a database, which is called the Canada Vigilance Adverse Reaction Online Database, where consumers and healthcare professionals can voluntarily submit reports of adverse drug reactions. So this is not mandatory. Um, previously in our um, discussion, I had mentioned um, Terrace um, Young, and when Terrace um, and Terrace Young, um, he is a former member of Parliament. And his daughter, Vanessa, had passed away from an adverse drug reaction. When later on he became a member of parliament, he had introduced um, a bill in the House of Commons called Bill C-12. And this was the Protecting Canadians from Unsafe Drug Act, uh, which became known as Vanessa's Law in honor of his daughter. And, which, and, what this was, was, and what this act was trying to do was it was making amendments to the Drug and Food Safety Act to empower the Minister of Health to require incident reporting from hospitals about ADRs and medical device incidents. So this act received um, royal assent in 2014, so meaning that it became the law of the land, but it only came into effect this past December. 
So now in Canada, Health um, Canada requires hospitals to report serious ADRs and um, also report medical device incidents to Health Canada within 30 days of the event being documented within the hospital. This is um, a really great step, but what I find problematic is that it doesn't really fulfill the original intention of Vanessa's law, which was that there should be mandatory reporting of all adverse drug reactions. Usually when it comes to policy and government action on issues, what gets measured is what gets done. And if we want to find out exactly what drugs are killing Canadians and what drugs are causing bodily harm, to Canadians, we need to actually track all drugs that are doing so. We that are doing so. We so we can get an accurate picture. Yeah, it seems like your the policies you've put forward really have the potential to change the way uh, medication is prescribed, and also how going forward any incident that happens in terms of um, an adverse drug reaction is recorded and can then help other patients in the future. We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important for us. So if you have any suggestions or comments, would like us to cover a specific topic or recommend a guest, please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook. Just type in Personalized Medicine Podcast and you will find us there. To download the show notes for this episode, visit our website pmedcast.com. It's P-M-E-D-C-A-S-T dot com. The show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. Make sure to check them out. And don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating and leave a comment. It will help us make this show better. And now, let's get back to the interview. Thinking about these policies um, that you have proposed within the Adverse Drug Reaction Organization, what have been some of the main hurdles for actually implementing those uh, into clinical settings uh, in British Columbia or in Canada at large? When I've spoken with clinicians and from interviews that researchers working in this area have gathered here in the main, the major hurdle has been reporting structures and who will do the reporting. That's a question that always gets asked. Um, sometimes it's believed a single case won't impact knowledge or change anything, so reporting is not done. Or at times it's believed um, that reporting doesn't matter because serious ADRs are probably already known by a manufacturer by the time that the drug goes to market. And we saw, um, as we discussed earlier, that, that that isn't always the case because um, even though a drug is created, maybe it perhaps um, didn't involve um, other individuals in the clinical trial. Or other complications that we've seen here is that there's the workload of a clinician and the workload may already be too, too high. So if reporting isn't mandatory, then why add to the load? Or if a patient has multiple healthcare providers, who is responsible for reporting? That's a question that gets asked. Um, or it might be difficult to determine exactly what drug caused the ADR. Suppose the patient was taking um, multiple medications, and then there's that feeling that if um, 
a feeling that a clinician might have that if they are not 100% certain what drug it was, then why should they report? So going back to reporting, um, I do believe that we need to make it easier for clinicians to report information. Um, there's also the question about um, who should do the reporting. Um, that is um, understandable about why that would um, be a reoccurring um, issue that is always brought up. Um, um, healthcare professionals already have a lot on their plate and we need to make it easier for reporting to occur. There was actually a pilot project that was done that was quite effective, but later cut due to funding, where um, each hospital had a staff member that was hired, and their job was solely to conduct reporting on adverse drug reactions. This approach was be uh, um, was beneficial. Um, even though there was an upfront cost to this, the data that we would collect would allow us to identify the top drugs that are adversely impacted Canadians. And this knowledge would allow us to initiate policies to prevent ADRs in the long run. So the cost would eventually be recuperated. You've mentioned clinicians as one of the key stakeholders within the healthcare system um, that are going to be impacted by these policies in terms of uh, how they prescribe medications, what kind of tests they can order, um, and also um, what information is available to them in general. Um, so what other stakeholders... Um, are you addressing within this organization in order to push for these policies? And what has been their overall response to the mission of the organization? This is an important question and one that our organization is always thinking about when we're discussing our vision for the organization and what we want to achieve next. When I first contacted researchers in Canada to begin the discussion of using genetic screening to prevent adverse drug reactions, I was happy to hear from many that they were already aware about um, these technologies and um, how they can be used to prevent um, ADRs. Um, but I was a bit surprised and a bit upset to learn that this information and ideas that could save countless lives had not been communicated to government and to citizens. When I spoke with survivors of ADRs and their families who had been impacted, they too were surprised and happy to learn about this. So the response has been um, incredibly positive. Um, but what I have learned from my years of policymaking is that policy initiatives need to be a collaborative effort um, to ensure that all perspectives are brought to the table because that is how we are going to ensure that policies are introduced, that citizens are actually wanting to follow, and then leaders are actually wanting to implement. Sometimes it's not enough to introduce a policy change, but people's attitudes and behavior may need to change as well. And there may be pro um, issues and concerns that government might need to address. Um, we have also tried to involve a lot of um, ADR survivors, because education ex is extremely vital to our cause. Education can help people overcome a lot of anxiety they may have about this topic. And um, we believe that education really needs to come from individuals that one can relate to and where they can see the pers perspective from their shoes. The public or future patient, um, which includes all of us, as we will all end up playing the patient role sometime in our lifetime, needs to hear about the patient perspective and how genomics research has personally benefited them. 
And we've also tried to include a lot of um, physicians within our work who have used genomics to guide the prescription of drugs. So our stakeholders include just about everyone from pharmacists to policymakers, from patients to physicians to researchers, because we all need to push for change and policies for, to prevent adverse drug reactions and educate each other, each other about lived experiences and the benefits of pharmacogenomics in practice. Yeah, you raised some really insightful points about different stakeholders and looking at different perspectives in order to push policy that I think a lot of clinicians and researchers sometimes don't think about. So it's been really great to hear about that. What has been the biggest accomplishment of the organization to date? And what are your future plans? I believe that we have um, really furthered the conversation about adverse drug reactions and how they impact Canadians. Um, this was something that we really didn't um, see a lot of awareness about um, in the past here in Canada. And we've really done that through um, speaking at conferences, media outreach, and really connecting with Canadians on a personal level. Last year, we had an um, adverse drug reaction survivor from the Yukon Territory who contacted us, and he then later shared the work that we were doing with his member of the Legislative Assembly. And then that member and his party's chief of staff contacted um, our organization to learn more about adverse drug reactions. And um, our organization then worked with that part political party to write a motion calling on the Canadian government to improve monitoring and mitigation of adverse drug reactions. So that was um, a, an incredible achievement, I would say. Um, in April um, of last year, this motion was tabled and then it was debated um, for almost three hours in the Yukon Legislative Assembly. Um, the motion passed and then that letter was sent to the Federal Minister of Health with the signatures of all three party leaders in the Yukon Assembly, um, asking that the government of Canada uh, fulfill the intent of Vanessa's law and improve reporting and mitigation of adverse drug reactions. So this is um, something that we want to continue to work on. Um, unfortunately, we are in the midst of a global pandemic right now, um, and our government efforts, um, um, as this should be, are focused on fighting COVID-19 right now. But once we begin to focus on other priorities, um, ADR Canada will be taking similar actions to those um, in the Yukon to other jurisdictions across the country over the coming years. Amani, thank you for sharing the work that you've done with Adverse Drug Reaction Canada thus far. The next question is a question I like to ask all our speakers, which is, what is your outlook? So how do you see the future of personalized medicine in terms of pharmacogenomics? And to make that question a bit more specific, where are we going to be in 10 years? Um, so the hopes that I have for personalized medicine, it may take longer than 10 years, but I hope that we will have fully utilized pharmacogenomics here in Canada. And I don't mean just in clinical settings, but that information about your gene variants is being used even when you make the decision yourself to go to the, your local drugstore to pick up an over-the-counter medication for your headache. And for here in Canada, I also hope that citizens in 10, year, 10 years' time will have a better understanding of what pharmacogenomics is, because we will have done a better job with knowledge translation. Um, in 10 years' time, I also hope that we are doing a better job of collaborating and sharing data 
what this COVID-19 pandemic has really shown us is that fighting disease needs to be a collaborative effort and one that involves the sharing of best practices. To effectively identify harmful drug gene combinations, countries really need to work together to pool together their genetic information, create joint databases so we can explore better correlations. Especially to identify gene variants for rare diseases and adverse reactions, a large sample size will be required. And therefore, one country and um, one continent cannot combat some diseases on their own. So leadership that fosters collaboration and brings together necessary partners is vital to this cause. And I hope that we get to that point in, uh, in 10 years time. Yeah, I hope so too. And I hope that especially around uh, science communication and education, and as you said, collaboration uh, continue to exist in science and be improved and be worked upon um, collectively. How can the audience learn more about the use of pharmacogenomics and potentially become an advocate themselves for preventing adverse drug reactions in their own country? If your country hasn't already started using pharmacogenomics, um, I think it's vital that you bring to light the ADR stats in your country and share with your elected representatives the incredible work and progress other jurisdictions around the world are making. Um, there are strategies that the UK has put in place and even um, resource-limited countries that we've seen um, in Asia, um, even though they didn't have uh, all the technologies that were needed, they still ended up developing and implementing um, policies to prevent adverse drug reactions happen from happening. Um, so that was incredible to see. Um, so we really need to applaud the work that they're doing and the evidence-based policies that have resulted from their, their um, research. Um, I really encourage everybody to um, go online um, to learn more about pharmacogenomics. Um, Adverse Drug Reaction Canada does have a website. It's adrcanada.org. And we also have a Twitter page for those who like um, to use social media, uh, which is at ADR underscore Canada. And we're always posting articles on there um, and information on there about um, the benefits of utilizing pharmacogenomics and how um, it will improve patient safety and make life better for everyone. Thank you, Amani, for this insightful interview. I've learned a lot about adverse drug reactions in general, the potential of genomics and how that might change in the future, and also about the intricacies of advocating policy and driving change towards personalization or towards further personalization in the future. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I think it's incredibly um, important and I was happy to learn um, about this podcast that you've started. Um, it's a, any, anything that we can do to educate um, citizens on the advances that we're making in genomic medicine is much needed. Um, so thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast online, and make sure to share it with a friend. And don't miss out on the next episode yourself. Subscribe to the Personalized Medicine Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and many more. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. Our show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topics of the episode. Engage with us on social media, where we share news and exciting content on personalized medicine. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook by typing in Personalized Medicine Podcast or using our handle PMedCast. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest for the show, write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Have a great day and until next time.